a hope for the future. If you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We do have a principle here this morning. Uh, to have hope for the future, we must first come to know the provider of that hope. To have hope for the future, we must first come to know the provider of that hope. Now, um, uh, a man was sleeping in his bed with his wife, and um, in the middle of the night, he got the old elbow in the side, and, and uh, his wife says, hey, look, I, I, think somebody's, I think somebody's in here. I think, I think we're being robbed. And of course, um, uh, this has happened a number of times over and over again, nearly every single night for the last 20 years. And so he knew the routine. All right, I got to get up, check the place, make sure it's safe. Otherwise, we're not going to get any sleep. And so he decided to get up and have a look around. And, and uh, he went uh, down the hallway. And then his worst nightmares, his, his wife's worst nightmares have come true. There was a guy there with a gun robbing the house. And he was filling up his bag, and as he turned the corner, uh, the, the, the thief looked over and saw him, and he began to run. And he says, no, wait, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. You've got to come with, come with me. You've got to meet my wife. And, of course, that you know, made him stop. He's like, what are you talking about? I've got to go meet your wife. He's like, man, she's been expecting you for 20 years. <laughs> How many of you can identify with that? Well, uh, in our passage here this morning, we're going to meet somebody whose life was characterized by expectation. This man's name was Simeon. And as we look a bit closer at his, at his, at his story, I, I, I pray that, that it will provide you with a hope for the future as well. Now, for some, Christmas time happens, all, you know, of course, once a year, and it's a time we come to celebrate, and, and it's a time where uh, we have our long-lost relatives come and join us, and we have a, a time of uh, fellowship together and, and uh, a time of closeness together. And then when it finishes, you come to the realization that once a year is enough for some of you. But for others, maybe this is a wonderful time for uh, you and it's meaningful for you. And, and maybe you've got a spouse or a loved one that may be in the armed services and, and they're gone for long periods of time. Or, or maybe you have a, a loved one that lives further away so they can't make it quite often. Or maybe, um, like many in our community, you have a fly-in, fly-out. And so your loved one is gone for blocks at a time. And you think about as the time gets closer when they're going to arrive. And as that time gets closer of their arrival, the excitement builds a little bit, and you get a little excited inside. You, know, you and your kids maybe uh, constantly peek out the window to see if they've come home early. Maybe your conversation seems to re revolve around that person coming, plans being made before their arrival. I mean, you can just feel the anticipation. You can feel the excitement building with each passing day. And then it happens. The moment you've been waiting for. Your loved one is standing before you in the flesh. No more dreaming. No more wishing. No more wondering what this is going to feel like because the time is here and your heart is bursting with joy. I'm not really much of a traveler, I must say. But I do like to see some of the interactions that happen in the airports. If I have to go and wait, a, do a long layover or something, or wait, sometimes I like to go to the arrival section of the airport and just watch all the interactions of my people watcher. I love watching people. 
And you see some of them, and they go and, and they break through the security lines and go and tackle somebody and wrap their arms around them. Maybe some of them will actually go and see somebody they know, and they just drop their bags and they run and they wrap their arms and legs around them. I mean, it, it's, it's amazing to see that. You see some that are jump, jumping with joy, and then there's others, man, the emotions are so strong, uh, they just can't control the tears that are pouring out of their eyes. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced anything like that in your life. But what if you had to wait for years for that moment to take place? I was thinking through this, and, and I got to thinking about maybe those who are waiting on organs for transplant. How, you know, their bodies are erect and their bodies are breaking down, and they're having to get put on the list, and they're having to wait sometimes months and even years for a, uh, a donor to become available in order for them to have the transplant so they can live a normal life. And it's a bittersweet moment because you know chances are if they're going to get a, uh, an organ, then that means somebody has to die on the other end. And it's sad to think about that. But it also it's exciting when you get the call as well, knowing that, that you can get a body part that will help you live a more normal life. And the, you feel the anticipation waiting for that phone call. Uh, one time I was at an um, airport, and I was standing at the, uh, the arrival gate there, and I saw this woman. And uh, she, uh, as the arrival gate's door opened up and all the people started flocking out, she was there and she was sort of up on her tiptoes, kind of looking, you know, jumping up and down, trying to see a face that she would recognize. And the, the majority of the people came through and then there was a sprinkling of people coming through the gate and she was still there as everybody else was leaving and walking off. She was still there. She was looking. She was longing. And you could see her shoulders start to, start to slump down a little bit. And then the uh, man at the gate there he came through and he saw the woman standing there and he just sort of shook his head and closed the doors and you could see the sadness on her face as she walked away knowing that she wouldn't see her loved one that day it would be easy for us to wonder what if they never showed up at all but what if that hope that we are so longing for was based on a promise of god and not just any promise, a promise from the Lord himself. In our passage today, we're going to see a man who was given such a promise. And I would like to unwrap that promise here this morning because I believe in this promise lies our future hope as well. But to start with, I want to sort of step back in time just a little bit. I want to go back a few centuries because if we go back a few centuries, we can see that there is a hope that is recorded. There is a hope that is recorded. And many of those, uh, many people refer to those as the Old Testament prophecies. And throughout the Old Testament, uh, there are several scriptures that foretell of the coming of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah, one who would rule and reign to save his people, one who would bring down his enemies and, and make them his footstool. So you can sort of imagine and envision the type of person that they were thinking of as they read these passages of scripture throughout the year. It is possible that the more they thought about this Messiah, that the more they, 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 they envisioned somebody even greater than maybe what the Scripture says, especially when their opposition becomes greater and greater and greater, they're always looking for that great hero to come and to save them from their opposition, from their enemies. But there's different ways that the Messiah is described in Scripture. And every Christmas we go through these. 
we have a look at these, and so these are probably quite familiar to you. In fact, throughout this series, we've even mentioned some. But let's just take a, take a look at some of these uh, in, in, the, in the Old Testament here. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, if you know the Christmas story, uh, you know indeed that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. We see that that has already taken place. It's happened. Also, another verse that um, is, is, is often referred to during this time of year is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of, his, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Also, Micah has something to say about the Messiah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are a little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. And of course, we know the Christmas story and how Jesus Christ was born in a place called Bethlehem. Let me share one more with you. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, and he is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. And of course, we know about the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ as he came into town. He was riding a donkey in order to fulfill the scriptures right here in Zechariah. Now, there is a um, mathematician named Peter Stormer, and he's gone through and looked at all of the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, and him being a mathematician, he wanted to do uh, a little math. We're going to do a little math here. I know school's out, but we're going to do some math here this morning, okay? Um, and uh, he wanted to do some predictions regarding these prophecies of Jesus Christ. And so he came to the conclusion that if there are eight of these prophecies that were fulfilled in the one man, Jesus Christ, the potential possibility of that would be 1 to 10 to the 17th power. Okay, now for those who've been out of school for a while, that's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Now to give you an illustration of that, what that looks like, he says if we were to go to the state of Texas... And we were to fill up Texas with silver dollars, which are probably about that big. And we were to fill it up two feet deep. And then we would go take one of those silver dollars and we would mark a red X on it. And we would mix it up into the state of Texas. And then we would take one person, we would blindfold them, and we would have them walk across the state of Texas. The, the, if the chances of them picking up that one with the red X in the very first time, that's the possibility of eight of these prophecies actually being fulfilled in the one man, Jesus Christ. Just eight. Now, if we were to increase that, let's say we go to 16 of these prophecies. 16 of these prophecies would actually be 1 to the 10 to the 45th power. 
Okay, now if we use the same illustration and we take all those coins and we put them into a ball and we put that ball into the center of the sun, the outer edges of that ball would reach Neptune almost all the way to Pluto. And then you blindfold somebody, send them out there to find that one coin. But let's take it even one step further. What about 48? If 48 of these prophecies were fulfilled in the one man Jesus Christ, it would be 1 to the 10th to the 157th power. That's a 10 with 157 zeros after it. And the, the, the coins that we were using are way too big, and so now we're going to have to use electrons. Electrons. You know how small an electron is? If you were to take an electron and put them side by side, one inch, and you were to count them, if you count 250 electrons per minute, every day, night and day, nonstop, it would take you 19 million years to count the electrons in one inch. Give you an idea how, how small that is. Now, going back to his illustration, if we were to do 10 to 157th power, and we were to send somebody out there to find that one little electron, he says that the, the, the space, the ball would be so big it wouldn't even fit in the known universe at that time. And at the time of his writing, the known universe was about 16 uh, billion light years away. So do you understand what we're talking about here? We're talking about these prophecies being uh, uh, in one man, Jesus Christ. He also stated, well, well uh, let's, let's go back to a Jewish, um, uh, a Jewish scholar here for a minute. Uh, Alfred Anderson, back in the 1800s, he converted to Christianity, and he wrote a classic work, and he confirmed that there weren't just eight, there wasn't just six, there weren't just 48 prophecies here. There were 456 passages in the Old Testament that made reference to the Messiah. And I spent some time this past week, and I actually wrote out um, a lot of these prophecies, and I came up with 365 prophecies that have been fulfilled in the one man, Jesus Christ. That is amazing. You've got a better chance of winning the lottery than having these being fulfilled in the one man, Jesus Christ. He also states that there are 558 messianic references to the Jewish rabbinical writings. And many of these uh, messianic psalms were memorized by most of the Jews. They put these things to memory, and the reason for that is because they wanted to make it a point to put these to memory so that they could recognize the Messiah once he came and revealed himself. But unfortunately, despite that, the Jewish nation missed his coming. And they are still looking for the Messiah even today. But that doesn't uh, negate the fact that here we have hope was recorded centuries before Jesus Christ ever came on the scene. But also we see hope revealed. We see hope revealed. Leading up to our passage today, there are a couple of noteworthy events that have taken place. The first one we see is the birth of John the Baptist. In Luke chapter 1, verse 65, it says, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all of these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. Get the picture here. This is information that's being spread all around. Everybody's knowing about it. It's on the, it's on the net. It's on the web. It's on Facebook. I mean, it's everywhere. Everybody's hearing about this. 
all those say all those who heard him heard kept these things in their hearts saying what kind of child will this be and the hand of the lord was with him what kind of child will this be they were saying so what are they talking about here here we have the miracle birth of john the baptist why do we call it a miracle birth well Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were well stricken in age, the scripture says. In other words, they were well past the age of childbearing years. And an angel came to them one day and spoke to them and said, Hey, guess what? You're going to have a baby. You're going to have a baby. Now, Zechariah, being the spiritual man that uh, uh, he, he was supposed to be, he was the priest, he says, Ah, well, no, you know what? That's not going to happen. <laughs> Uh, and he doubted the, the, the angel of the, of the Lord, and, and he says, okay, well, as a sign, the angel made him mute, and he says, you're not going to speak again until you have your baby, and you're going to call his name John. Now, imagine all the people waiting outside the temple for him to finish up his prayer of incense, and, and uh, when he comes out, you know, they're l- looking to hear some instructions or something from the Lord, and he comes out, and he's mute, and he can't speak. He can't talk. And, you know, you got the rumor mill going around and people start to say things, you know, hey, what's going on with him? What's happened there? What, what, what's going on? What did he do? He can't talk. And there's a, a, a buzz going around town. Everybody would be talking about it. And then, of course, um, a few months later, Elizabeth started getting that little baby bump. And then people start seeing and people start talking about it. And we're starting to see what's happening. And then John was born. And then when John was born, his mouth was loose and his tongue was loose. And he was able to tell everybody what happened, what's going on. Can you imagine the, the, the talk that's going on? Can you imagine the people discussing and talking about these things? And then uh, a few months later, after the birth of John, we get some reports in another town called Bethlehem from these shepherds. And they claimed that there was a baby, a special baby being born, and it was the promised Messiah, the one that was revealed to them by the angels, the one that those scriptures we've been talking about have been predicting for, for, for centuries now. Here we have this baby. He is the Messiah. We, we, we know this because the angels told us this. Now keep in mind, they have not heard anything for 400 years. There have been 400 years of silence since the last prophet spoke. There have been 400 years of complete silence. Nobody has heard from God. And now these strange things are happening. We're having angels appear to people. We're having these miraculous births. And then we have these shepherds looking at Luke chapter 2, verse 17. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They were hanging out in the fields, you know the story, watching their flock by night. And suddenly the angel appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were so afraid. You know the story. You've heard it in many plays time and time again. And they, they, they said to, the, uh, to, to the, the shepherds, there's going to be a baby that's going to be born. He is going to be the Savior of the world. He's going to be the Messiah. After 400 years of silence, there's a buzz going around town. Strange things are happening. The miracle birth of John the Baptist, who will be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. The miracle birth of Jesus, which the angels told the shepherds was going to be the Savior of the, of the, of the world, was going to be Christ the Lord. This was the one the Messiah that the Old Testament Scriptures had been foretelling for 2,000 years before Christ. 
The long-awaited day was finally here. So Simeon, him being a righteous man, he comes on the scene. He was a righteous and devout man, and he was given a promise by God that he would not see death until he laid eyes on the promised Messiah. Look with me in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. And when the days for purification, talking about Mary, was according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him, little baby Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens up the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And notice this next bit here. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon is probably getting a little bit older now. Uh, a lot of the Jewish historians say that he was an elderly man. He was an old man, but as we read the Scripture, we really don't give any indication about how old he was. He could have been a young man, but chances are he probably was an old man. And the Scriptures foretold, foretold and, and, and now in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Chronicle is, is reporting about all these miraculous events that are taking place. Things are happening. So it's like a little child waiting on his father to come home on Christmas Day. So too was Simeon bursting with anticipation as he started receiving these news reports. I mean, if they had a concert there in, in, the, in the temple, they probably may would have had Phil Collins in the back singing, Something's in the air tonight. Or maybe if you're like me, I grew up on the Beach Boys, man. There's some good vibrations going on. Something was happening. There was an excitement in the air. Every day he would be at the temple eyeing each newborn that passed by, seeing if he could recognize the Messiah. I don't know how he would recognize him or what he was looking for, whether he was looking for a halo or something. I don't know. But he was looking for the Messiah. And chances are there would be many that would come to the temple to dedicate their children because it was the law. Because their firstborn was spared in Egypt, they were to present their firstborn to the Lord with a sacrifice. Now, normally um, it would have been a lamb. But if they couldn't afford a lamb, then the law made provisions for that. And they could give a pair of turtle doves or a pair of pigeons. That would suffice. And as we see here in Mary and Joseph's case, they probably were poor. So they choose the lesser option. And so here Simeon, he would have been eyeing every potential baby that came in to the, the buildings that day. And then it happens. It happens. Hope is finally realized. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 27, So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. 
Jesus was the promised hope, not just for Israel, but for all people, including Gentiles as well. And if you remember back to the story of Mary, with Mary and Joseph, they also received a promise back in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It said, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Notice that. So all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so now they're standing there with their baby, and this guy comes up and takes her baby and starts saying these, these prophetic things about their child, and they seem to marvel. They seem to be surprised. Why? They've had a promise of their own. Well, Simeon's prophecy actually went a little bit further, went beyond the angel's earlier prophecies concerning the child. He was not just going to reach his people. He was going to be the savior of the world, everybody. And it was surprising that he should know anything about this child's destiny. They were surprised that a stranger, evidently one of position and learning, should possess such deep insight concerning the destiny of an unknown infant brought in by a couple of poor parents into the temple court. I mean, of all the other babies there, out of all the other people there, he chose them to come and reveal this information to. And you begin to wonder, well, how, who else knows about this? They, were, they, they had been given previous insight, but they were more, there were more and more revelations that were coming from unexpected places which caused them to marvel at the baby that God had given them. Well, Simon rejoices the long-awaited Messiah was now in his hands. Picture it. I mean, I, I think of that moment in, in Lion King. You know, you got that, uh, was it Simba? I'm not up on movies. I think it's Simba. He's up in the, up in the air, and, and they're holding him up in the air, and I, I kind of maybe picture that in the temple where, where Simeon's there. He's holding up little baby Jesus, the Messiah, up in the air. What a wonderful moment that is. The promise that was given to him by the Lord was fulfilled. And now, he can die. Think about that for just a moment. Now that it's been revealed to him who the Messiah is, he can die. I mean, is there, is there any news that you have been longing for to the point that when you receive it, you would say, hey, okay. I can die now. I mean, can, can, hey, look, life is not going to get any better than this. This is the ultimate. If I die right now, I'm, I'm, my life is satisfied. I'm okay with that. Well, this is exactly what Simeon was saying. And Simeon could say this because he realized that hope had been revealed. Hope was revealed. In Luke chapter 2, verse 34, it says, Then Simeon, Bless them. And said to Mary, his mother. Notice what he says here. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul, Mary. Will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This hope is revealed 
but it comes at a cost. It comes at a price. We go from a high time of rejoicing to an all-time low. The sign which was spoken against him. That, that phrase there is actually an archery term, an archery metaphor, and it means a target to shoot at. And when we think about the birth of Jesus Christ, when we think about that little baby, here we have this gentleman telling Mary that this will be a target that people will shoot at. Jesus will surely be a target of much evil. I could just see the excitement in Simeon's face turned to sorrow as he prophesies the events that will happen in the life of Jesus Christ and how that will also have a traumatic impact on Mary as well. So how does one move past this? You're going up to the temple to dedicate your baby. This stranger rocks up and says some amazing, wonderful things concerning your child. And maybe you blush a little bit. Maybe you're thinking, wow, maybe you're a little bit chuffed. Hey, this guy really likes my kid. And then all of a sudden he drops the bomb by predicting an event that will pierce the very soul of his mother. We want all of our children to be great. But at what cost? On the news I saw last year where you have a couple of people in Hollywood that want the best for their children. And they want their children to go to the best schools. And so they went and greased a few palms to get their kids in those schools. They went and lied on their applications in order to make them look better than what they, what they would so that they can get into these schools. And we want the best for our kids, but at what cost? I mean, if somebody were to come up to you and predict that your child will be the next prime minister, you might say, you know what, that's great, that's wonderful. We need some good people in, in government. We need some good people to turn this country around, maybe turn them back to God. You may be excited about that prospect, but then what if in the same breath they said, oh yeah, and by the way, their first term in office, they're going to be assassinated. Would you be excited when your kids start studying politics, taking an interest in politics? Or maybe you would be discouraging maybe to find another line of work. How would you respond to that? God's purpose was greater than any ambitions she had for her son. God's purpose was greater than any ambitions that she had for her son. In order to save the world, her baby boy would one day be sacrificed. A sacrifice was required for hope to exist in this world. Please understand that here this morning. We see a transition here from the manger to the cross in these words. Just as Simeon had to live his life with the anticipation of seeing the Messiah before he, before he died, now Mary must live her life in anticipation of that soul-piercing event that's yet to come. And this is where we see hope restored. This is where we see hope restored. In Isaiah 53, 5, it says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. You think about Adam. He messed up. 
He blew it. And because of Adam's sin, it entered into all the world. But here we have a scripture here in Isaiah 53. Let's go back through and read it once again. And this time I want you to understand what this means for you. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our mistakes. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him and is with his stripes, with his beating, with his persecution. We are healed. Simeon held the hope of the future in his hands. We can hold the hope for the future in our hearts. Before Jesus could enter into our hearts, he had to first hang on the cross and pay for our sins. Before he hung on the cross, he must first be born of a virgin and laid in the manger in order to fulfill the scriptures. Christmas is all about promise of hope being fulfilled. Jesus is the hope for the future because Jesus is our future hope. He was the hope recorded in scriptures. It was the hope realized by Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, and Simeon. And he was and is the hope for each of us today if we are willing to receive the hope of Jesus Christ. Listen, I told you I had something for you here this morning. What I have for you this morning is a future hope. And that hope is only found in Jesus Christ. Hope is not something we want to happen. It's not wishful thinking. Hope is the anchor that we can place our faith and our trust in. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19, it says this hope, this is the hope that we have as an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast. Notice those words, both sure and steadfast. Listen, if you have an anchor that's not sure and steadfast, then you don't have an anchor. What's the point? You want an anchor that's both sure and steadfast, and this is what we have here. This hope with this anchor uh, for the soul is both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us. Now notice this, who is this anchor? Even Jesus, having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. It is Jesus who is this anchor. It is Jesus who, are, who is our hope. Let me close off with this illustration. The school system had a program in place. And uh, with this program, uh, they were looking to help some kids who had gone into the hospital. Uh, they didn't want them to get too far behind in their schoolwork. Um, and, uh, and get lost. And so those who were having extended uh, hospital time, they had these volunteers that would go and work with these kids so that they wouldn't get too far behind. So one of, the, one, one of these ladies actually signed up for this program. She became a volunteer. And one day she got the call uh, from a teacher. And she goes, I've got a little boy that's in the hospital. This is his name. This is his room number. We're working on nouns and adverbs. If you would, please go by there and have a talk with him and do some study with him so he doesn't get too far behind. If you do that, we would be very grateful. We'd appreciate it. She says, hey, no worries. We'll go by and do that. So she shows up at the hospital. And she finds a, the little boy's room. And when she walked in, she saw something that she didn't expect at all. 
They didn't really tell her why that little boy was in there. And come to find out, this boy was covered in burns. Most of his body was burnt. And he was there in a lot of pain and agony. And it just took her back. And she came in stembering. She goes, uh, I've seen, uh, I've been sent by your school to, to work with you. And to, and to help you out, and, and we're going to be talking about adverbs, and, and, and we're going to be talking about nouns. When she left there, she felt like she didn't have a whole lot accomplished because the boy was in so much pain. But the next day, the nurse asked her, she goes, what did you do with that boy? And thought she messed up and thought she did something wrong. She began to apologize because I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I don't know. She goes, no, 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 you don't understand what I mean. We were so worried about this little boy. He wasn't responding to any treatment. And now ever since yesterday, it seems like his attitude has changed. He's now fighting back. He's responding to the treatment. And it's, 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 it's of those he's decided to live. Well, two weeks later, the boys asked about the events. and The boy explained that he had completely given up hope until that teacher showed up. Everything changed when he came to the simple realization that they wouldn't be sending a teacher to come to work with me on nouns and adverbs with a dying boy, would they? And it changed the way he saw things. It changed his life. He saw hope when that teacher came. Listen, we have hope because Jesus came. We have hope because Jesus came. Let the world know. Let, he, he mends broken hearts. He, he makes them whole again. Simeon wasn't the only one in the temple that day. There was another lady there named Anna. She was a prophetess. And she also got to hold that baby Jesus, and she also made some predictions concerning him as the Messiah. He was going to be the redeemer for his people. Simeon and Anna saw something that no one else saw in the temple courts that day. The rest of the people were just too caught up in their own affairs to understand the grandeur of what was taking place right in front of them. Their Messiah was right there in the midst of them, right before their very eyes. Had they known truly who this was, had they truly known that this indeed was the Messiah, it probably would have been a Lion King moment where Simeon was holding up the baby Jesus and everybody else around them would fall and prostrate themselves on the ground. If only they knew. John 1.5 says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. We have a reason to rejoice. Jesus is here this morning. He is the answer to our deepest needs. But sadly, he goes unnoticed by majority of people. They go on their busy lives worshiping gods that promise but never can deliver. Missing the Messiah, missing the Savior who died so that they might have life. Aren't you glad that we have a God who always keeps his promises? Aren't you glad for that? Will you stop and take notice this Christmas season? Don't just look at that little baby in a manger and think, hey, great, another little baby is born. 
But when you think about that little baby Jesus in the manger, you think of him, hey, listen, this is our future hope. This is our future hope. Take the time to notice here this Christmas season. Just like Simeon, God doesn't want any of us to die before we have seen the Savior of the world. Maybe not with our physical eyes, but surely with our spiritual eyes. Can you say with Simeon that your eyes have seen the salvation of God? Well, this Christmas season, the greatest gift you could ever receive is the gift of the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But like any other gift that you receive, you must be willing to receive and accept that gift that's offered to you. God's grace is freely given and it must be freely received. He's not going to force it on you. For those of us who have received our future hope, Peter tells us that when people ask us about our future hope, then we need to be prepared. We need to be ready to answer them with meekness and fear. We need to be ready to give them an answer of the future hope that they see in us. Christmas this season, let me encourage you to go out and share the gift of our future hope. And that gift is none other than the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because to have a future hope, one must first come to know the provider of that future hope. There's none other than Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. And Lord, as we think about our future hope, Lord, we're grateful for that. And we thank you so much for providing that future hope for us. But we also realize that there are a number of people out there, Lord, that don't have that hope that we have. And Lord, around this Christmas time, this is the perfect opportunity we have to go and to share that hope. Go and share the love of Jesus Christ with those around us. Lord, there is no greater Christmas present anyone can receive than the gift of salvation. And so, Lord, help us to be diligent in sharing that good news with others this Christmas season. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.